What's up, guys, and welcome back to the Diving Deeper podcast. I am your host, Osama Hamid, and today is a lovely Saturday, April 25th afternoon. It's also the second day of Ramadan, and that's something I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about today. So, a lot of these times before I start this podcast, I start thinking, hey, what do I want to chat about today? I kind of want it to always be a freestyle type of agenda because I want it to come straight from the heart. I don't really plan anything beforehand unless maybe I'm having a discussion with another guest or something. So today I wanted to talk a little bit more about Ramadan and some of the maybe misconceptions and some of the great things that uh, I would love for people outside of um, Islam to know. And uh, by no means am I a, a perfect Muslim or even anywhere close to that. And a lot of what I want out of this show is to kind of be grateful for what I have so far. And you guys know I talked about it a couple episodes ago. I've started writing in the five-minute journal. I've started journaling things that I'm grateful for. And I want this year and this Ramadan, especially during this quarantine period, to be something that um, I'm very mindful of and, and, and a time where I'm very mindful and conscious of all of the things around me and everything going on in my life. So here's to that a little bit today. So one of the first things I want to talk about in Ramadan is obviously fasting. And that's kind of what most of uh, the people around me um, know about Ramadan when anybody says it. Hey, you don't drink or eat. Um, for 30 days straight and obviously that's the first misconception of course we don't eat or drink um, physically that's the physical part of fasting we don't eat or drink between sunrise and sundown and a lot of people attribute fasting to just be that but of course fasting is more than that the whole point of why we fast as muslims is to cleanse ourselves both physically and spiritually during this time it's a time of uh, recollection it's a time of reconciliation and a time of really embracing it and, and and being grateful for what you've had over the past year so it's a time when we not just fast physically um to cleanse our body but it's also a time where we fast mentally you know a, a abstaining from you know speaking bad things or speaking ill will on people abstaining from trash talking or cursing abstaining from having bad thoughts in general and trying to avoid those things um on one hand that's great because it helps you just, it, it's it's a time every year, one twelfth of the year, where you essentially just take a step back and be very conscious of everything that you're doing. Because at the when you break your fast, I think it's very important that there's a physical aspect of this, not just the spiritual, because I think a lot of times we can set our minds to do something, but until we feel the physical ramifications of it and we actually feel it, on a minute-to-minute basis, it isn't really tangible in our heads. So I think the physical aspect of fasting is really great as well. And that's why when it's time to break our fast, and around this time in New York City, it's around 7.43-ish, and that obviously that changes every day based on sunset. Um, but when it's time to break your fast, there's this all of a sudden feeling inside of you of relief, but also this feeling, it just feels good that you accomplished something throughout the day, but you also generally feel very lean and clean physically. And there's a lot of studies out there. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm a scientist and understand all of the biomechanics behind fasting, but there are a lot of studies out there that show why fasting in general is good for bodies. Regardless of your religion and your faith, you should be doing it generally um, from time to time to help reset your body and cleanse your organs. A lot of studies have shown that when you fast for even just one full day, they have huge. it has huge positive effects on your organs and your body. It allows your body to flush out the toxins that it's taken in from food, especially in, in 2020 where all of the food that we consume 
a lot of it is really not organic or even when it's labeled organic it's not essentially organic it's filled with these gmos and filled with artificial ingredients and flavors and a lot of that causes this buildup of toxins in your body so it's really important every once in a while take a step back and reset and i think that's why a lot of uh, diets nowadays really circulate around this idea of intermittent fasting and that's actually what i do personally outside of ramadan i actually only eat generally between the hours of 12 to 8 and it's called either intermittent fasting or some people may re- refer to it as restrictive eating um but the the general notion around that concept is we as humans uh operate on a circadian rhythm meaning that our body our bodily functions well one aspect of that meaning is that our bodily functions tend to occur most during days of sunlight uh, during hours of sunlight and so that means that while the sun is out your body will be the most awake and perform the most functions so that means the metabolism will spike during that time uh, your body will operate at peak capacity during that time and it also means that we're just generally not nocturnal beings who operate more during nighttime hours so i know there's been plenty of studies on restrictive eating and a lot of them show that during the daytime when you eat during sunlight hours but you restrict yourself to an eight hour window that's the most beneficial for your metabolism to not just burn fat but clean through those toxins in your body and that's because during those sunlight hours your body's operating at peak capacity but every time you eat you have an insulin spike in your body um, a spike of sugars and a spike of insulin in your body and that means when insulin is spiking it has a reverse uh, reaction with your metabolism your, t- your metabolism goes down but the more you eat and i'm not even talking about the quantity but the more frequently you eat throughout the day the more times your insulin will spike in your body and the least the less times you'll be able to reset and metabolism will act better so essentially what that means is if you eat 2000 calories in a day sometimes it's more beneficial to eat those 2000 calories in two meals than it is to eat them in three and essentially when you close that window down a lot of people can close it down to even less than eight hours they can close it down to four hours or two hours where they eat some people only have one meal a day and of course it differs from body to body and based on your regime based on your job what you do in life if you're an athlete of course you're not going to be doing that it depends on your day-to-day life so of course i'm not going to sit here and tell people what's best for them but there have been many studies that show essentially when you limit that window the rest of the window and that's why they give it an eight hour window to eat typically so that way you have 16 hours for your body to reset reclean and your metabolism to act faster and i i forgot the name of the study but there was one study that tested on rats and rats are the opposite of us because they're nocturnal so they tested a bunch of rats to see if these rats if we fed one group of rats during nighttime hours like they typically would in their diet and fed another group of rats only during daytime hours what would be the effect on them and what they saw was the rats that um, were consuming food during daytime hours which is the opposite of their cycle compared to us they actually had a spiked increased risk of cancer diabetes and high blood pressure and those things obviously led to a shorter lifespan and an unhealthier life for those rats and what many of those studies have concluded is that the same effect will happen and has happened for humans um but on the reverse on the opposite scale so when humans consume food during nighttime hours and sleep during the day it even if it's the same calories they're consuming and the same exact diet um, those humans will actually be at a higher risk of contracting 
worse diseases. And that's because our body is naturally inclined to perform its functions during daytime hours because we live again on that circadian rhythm. So, and I, they verified a lot of these results using, um, well, there's obviously issues with, you know, compiling testing on humans because you can't do so uh, legally. But many people have donated their results in this large uh, survey data. I forgot who it was hosted by. But essentially, a lot of people donated their results based on their restrictive eating cycles, and uh, they tested it on nurses who actually very often tend to work during the nighttime and sleep during the day. And what they found is that these nurses with the same activity levels, exercise levels, and same diets as people who ate and exercised during the daytime um, would be suffering from more adverse uh, disorders and diseases. So that's just one thing to talk about when it comes to the physical aspect of fasting. Um, I think in general, it's a good reminder for all of us to be conscious of not just what we're putting out in the world, but what we're taking from the world and putting back inside our bodies. So that's one thing that fasting and Ramadan all my life has prepared me for and I'm, something that I'm really grateful for. Another aspect, of course, like I mentioned before, is the, that spiritual and mental aspect of fasting. At a time like this, we're supposed to be conscious during these 30 days of the aura that we put back out into the world, the my verbiage that I put back out into the world, how I interact with others, but not only that, but also how I think in life. And I think a lot of that um, attributes a positive mentality during Ramadan, and that's kind of why each time we break our fast at nighttime, it's meant to be more of like a family gathering, a, a, a situation where we get together and just have this influx of positivity at the end of the day. And I think a lot of that is attributed to this notion that once you tell people to do a certain thing and it becomes habit, it starts to consume them and become natural to them. That's why, of course, when I was younger, um, all these types of fasting were more difficult for me. But as I grow older and as I understand the, the benefits of this, um, now the physical aspect of performing these actions isn't hard anymore. So I get to focus on those mental aspects and I get to focus on my mental health. And I think that's something that's so strong and so beautiful, not just within this religion, but in general. Um, I think people who practice this kind of thing, practice meditation, practice fasting, they tend to live more positive lives just naturally because of the fact that they're so much more conscious of the things that they're doing. And a lot of what I'm trying to do on this podcast in general over the past few episodes is to allow myself and allow you listeners and allow anybody who comes on the show to just be more conscious of the things going around um, in life, things going around us, um, the the reasons for the things that we do and the, the common threads in society that we just don't tend to notice on a day-to-day -day basis because we're just moving from action to action, from activity to activity. So I think that's another amazing thing that I'm grateful for during this Ramadan period. Having said that, though, like I mentioned earlier in the show, I, I'm nowhere near a great Muslim when it comes down to that. In fact, my faith has wavered many times over the years. And as much as I pride myself as a person of science and a man of logic and reasoning, Sometimes people don't see that as combining so well with being a person of faith and religion. And, you know, ironically, I think it wasn't, <laughs> this is actually really funny because it wasn't until reading Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code trilogy that I actually really, truly understood the power of my faith combined with science. I think it's really funny because I've read, obviously, a lot of literature on 
uh, theology and religion. And none of that resonated with me as much as those books fictionally. And that might be because of the fact that just all my life, I've loved diving into fiction books and entering a new adventure and creating a new world for me personally. But it also has to do with the fact that I think I read those books maybe three, four years ago. Maybe it was a little bit more, but they were at a time in my life where I felt a little bit lost identity wise as maybe 20 and trying to get a foothold on life and try to understand what career I want to jump into, how I'm going to do in school, that kind of thing. So I think they came at a time where I was looking for an escape in books, but at the same time trying to understand a little bit more about my identity. And a huge part of my identity since I was a kid is the fact that I'm Muslim and the fact that I'm Arab and the fact that I'm Egyptian. And so uh, I remember reading those books and uh, reading through the main character's perspective as he you know, interacts with all these characters in Rome, in Italy, and really going through literature from the past. I'm not going to spoil the books, but obviously the books center around um, these adventures of a, I believe it's a detective. I don't even remember anymore. Wow, that's it's that crazy. My memory is horrible, but he's essentially trying to um, solve big Kate big crises that are happening in the world it's 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 ridiculous in a sense but it's also amazing and sadly the movies didn't do these books justice but essentially i was able to there there was a huge discourse in the da vinci code between the pope and the catholic religion and scientists um scientists at cern which is the uh i forgot what the acronym stands for but it's a center for um advancements in science or something like that and there, it's this huge battle, essentially, between those two groups, these scientists that are creating new technology for the world and these uh, religious people, um, the, the Catholic religion and the Catholic group, and seeing the dynamic between the two. And something I love in books or movies or any kind of uh, fiction or nonfiction in general is the fact that as long as a show or a movie or a book or whatever teaches me that on both sides there's good and bad, I feel like it's genuinely real and I can relate to it as much because life is never black and white, right? Life is never, hey, that guy is wrong and that guy is right. There's always dimensions to everything. Um, no one ever does any actions thinking that what they're doing is evil. You know, everyone thinks that what they're doing is for a good reason. What those reasons are motivated by, though, and how well-educated they are, are a different story. But those are, of course, variables that affect those things. But everybody really, truly does, uh, really is motivated by doing what's right to them. And so I think, you know, things that portray that are ones that really resonate with you the most. So I think seeing the duality between those two groups, religion and science, and how that's often conflicted in my head over the years, seeing them come together to realize that, yes, one truly cannot proceed without the other in a sense of pushing each other to get to a place where they can both align. I think that's something that I've always felt in my life but has always been contradictory to what I've been taught. You know, in, in school, there's often the debate about teaching things through the, a lens of Christianity and Catholicism or teaching things through a purely science-based lens. And then there's, op- there's obviously conflict around that. Like, you know, were humans created by God or was everything uh, a result of the Big Bang Theory or are both part of one theory? And I'm actually going to leave a footnote to myself here to remember to do another podcast about how I feel about religion and science together. Because I think it's a huge topic and, and and one that I'm really interested in talking through, maybe with a guest on the show. Um, but essentially, 
all of my life, I learned whether it's through religious teachers um, that you know you got to do the right thing for the right reasons. You don't do the wrong things for those same reasons, and so a lot of that has conflicted with what I learned in science class and what I learned in general through my academic career,、um, because it's often taught through this fictional lens or what. Seems as a fantastical lens through whether you're reading the Quran or the Bible, or the Torah, and it's these inherently unrelatable moments, but that ones that have very relatable lessons at the end. So whether you're learning about any disciples or you're learning about any prophets or you're learning about anybody in general in a religion, all of my life I've been more concerned with distilling down the lesson here into how it relates to me personally. A lot of other people get caught up in. The details and specifics of religion, and the physical aspects of it, and things like walking on water, or things like slamming your cane down and it turns into snakes, like these things. I have no idea of knowing how these stories went down historically. I have no idea of knowing how they've been passed on from generation to generation. But what I do know is that they've lasted this long, and that has to be for a reason. And to me, that reason is because of all the teachings and the learnings they provide. And so that way, my goal is, as a religious person, to absorb all of those learnings and teachings and apply them to my day-to-day life. How can this situation apply to me personally? And like I said in one of the podcasts before, a lot of what religion is to me is a guideline and a, and a book of principles for my life. And so I'm going to go about my personal life and attribute all those learnings and lessons and rules that I learned from religion as a guiding light to every decision that I make. And if you do that well, and if you do that right, it tends to help you make the moral decisions in life. But of course, there are always moments where you question whether that belief is accurate or not. Of course, there's as a progressive person myself, I struggle a lot with.、Um, Conservative religious folk who believe that homosexuals and trans folk and often women and other minorities don't deserve certain rights that others do. And again, for me, the way I see that is that's not an indictment of religion itself, but it's an indictment of those people. And the way I look through religion is how can you learn about being open to others and being patient and being understanding and relating to others and yet still be so inherently biased against those folk and for me that learning from religion inherently makes me feel that I should be open to other people especially people who are not from my background and from a more you know seen as minority and inferior demographic and and that's why it's On me as a Muslim and a religious person in general to fight for those groups and to embrace them into my culture as well. So that's kind of towards my point of understanding that religion can be interpreted in multiple ways. It's how you interpret it that truly makes you a good or, or righteous person. So that's a long rant about religion in general, but I think it's important in understanding the dynamic for me between religion and science all of my life. And when I say science, of course, I mean just learning and academics and. Educating myself over time, a lot of people believe that the two cannot coexist and that science inherently contradicts religion. But I don't think so. I think it's obviously all in the minute interpretation of religion and science. In fact, I think a lot of what science is is a religion anyway. A lot of science is a belief in the fact that the research that we perform is accurate. As we know, science is always changing year to year, day to day. 
um, what we talked about earlier about even diets and fasting. How many different diets and, and, and fasting methods have we learned about over just the past 10 years alone? And then we learned the next year that the one that we did the last year was actually really bad for you. And here's the science instead. Think about it. As you got older, when you were a kid, you were taught, hey, you need to have milk every day or your bones will not grow and they won't be fortified with calcium. And that milk is inherently good for you. Well, guess what? Over the past few years, we've come to the understanding that milk isn't necessary. Humans weren't always intended to drink milk. Naturally, as human beings, we evolved over time to even have the enzymes in our stomach to, be, to be even break down lactose. That's why a lot of people aren't able to do so and are thus lactose intolerant, including myself, and aren't able to drink milk. Now, you can get your source of vitamin D and calcium from everywhere else, including the sun. But for some reason, milk was such a huge source of that for us as a kid. And what we found out was that a lot of that was just very well marketing by, you know, the milk industry. Uh, same thing happens for other diet fads, like when you drink, when, when you, when you, sorry, when you eat different meals throughout the day, you know, your doctor, your doctor used to tell you, hey, eating breakfast is the most important meal of your day. And you need to have it right when you wake up, right before you go to school. Well, think about the history of breakfast over time. We were taught that eating cereal first thing in the morning was really good for you. But now we've learned that most cereals, if not 90% of cereals, don't have any health or positive benefit for your body. Very often, these cereals are just filled with sugar and carbs and things that you should not be consuming right away first thing in the morning because you'll end up crashing by the afternoon. But of course, they were motivated by financial reasons and by the cereal industry and by a lot of these conglomerate companies like General Mills to actually market it towards kids and families so that obviously they can fill their pockets more. So science has always been, you know, influenced by other variables around it. And so has religion. And I think the two really have grown together kind of in a similar path. And like I said, you know, even eating breakfast early in the morning isn't even always a recommendation anymore. A lot of people now, like I said, say, hey, take on a restrictive eating diet where you're only eating from the hours of 12 to 8. I always thought all my life, hey, why can I never eat breakfast in the morning? A lot of times as a kid, whenever I would eat breakfast, I would throw up. A lot of times when I would eat breakfast, I would come into class and not be able to pay attention for some reason and not be able to take my tests properly. I would keep zoning out. And yes, yeah, some of that was is ADHD, but also some of that is the fact that my body was so taxed with breaking down the food that I was consuming, especially food that wasn't high, high in quality, that I wasn't able to be fully focused or aware during tests. But yet there were times when I would notice that when I would come to school without eating, without really doing all the things that doctors told me to prepare with in the morning, I was more attentive, more aware in class and generally just on top of things. And it was just so weird to me until realizing now that as we grow older, those things that we learned when we were kids evolve. This idea of science evolves. We learn that, hey, maybe breakfast isn't as important for you as we originally thought. And if it is, maybe the food that we were telling you to consume during that breakfast is not anywhere near what we thought it was. So I think a lot of science is faith-based and a lot of it evolves over time and so should religion. And I think it's the duty of religious leaders to adapt over time to the changing times and to make you know, scripture relatable to people in the year 2020 who 
lived very different lives from prophets back in the day, but lives that still require those same lessons and those same theories. So I think my idea on both religion and science is the fact that I'm going to apply it to my life personally and how that apply, how that applies is going to be different from how it applies to you or from anybody else around me. So that's kind of one of my learnings this year for Ramadan and trying to be more conscious of that. Um, some other misconceptions around Ramadan are that, you know, like I said, it's not just the fact that it's only physical fasting. It's more uh, forms of fasting than that, that at the end of Ramadan, it's, you know, Eid is not just like a celebration, but it's more so um, an understanding that what we went through, a lot of people go through as well. And it's important to give back. And that's why at the end of Eid, we give a, per- a certain percentage of our yearly income to any organization or anybody more needy. A lot of people donate it to their mosque, which then distributes that money to, you know, organizations around them. And that's just as important of a pillar in Islam as fasting is uh, zikr. It's to give, you know, part of what you have to people who are less fortunate. It's a way to level essentially wealth inequality within a Muslim society and within society in general. And I think that's another huge part of uh, Ramadan that a lot of people tend to just gloss over because it it happens at the end. And so these are my learnings, at least for today, for Ramadan. Um, it's currently 2.24 p.m. on Saturday. I've had no food or water and talking this much has made me, uh, has made my mouth even drier than the Sahara. So I'm trying to muster through this one right here. But if you learn anything new in this podcast, obviously, uh, feel free to let me know on Instagram at brosama. Um, recently you guys have been smashing uh, the numbers on this podcast i'm actually finding out that i have some listeners in manchester in england and in uh, clichy france and i forgot which other nations but if you're from there and you're quietly listening to this podcast please send me a note send me a message i want to know how you found this i want to know uh what you think i would love to hear more of diverse backgrounds than just where i'm from in new york and obviously even in the u.s there's there have been listeners from so many states, and I'm so grateful for that. I'm so thankful that uh, people want to hear uh, something new about people from a, a background that's different than theirs, and that makes me really happy to know. So I would love to hear from you guys. If you want to rate this podcast, that really helps me out and helps other people discover it. So please do so on any platform that you prefer, or you can go to the description of here where you can click directly to ratethispodcast.com slash deeper, and you can give a rating on whichever platform you prefer there. So thanks again for listening, guys. I really appreciate it. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.